We're considering question seven of the Baptist Catechism today. What is God? That is the question. Such a big question, isn't it? And the answer that is given is really marvelous. It's very brief, in fact, uh, but it says a lot. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And I would like to begin by reading John 4, 1 through 26 uh, this afternoon. Would you hear now the reading of God's most holy word? Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, um, excuse me. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May, his, may he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. What is God? Uh, this question and the answer that is provided by our catechism, it's so incredibly important uh, that I wish to take two sermons to address it. We could take much more than two sermons to address uh, this question But we will take two on the Lord's Day afternoon. This will be part one, and next Sunday, Lord willing, will be part two. We should remember that we were 
created to know God, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him forever and ever. And we should also recognize that Christ has redeemed us from sin so that we might be reconciled to God, to know Him, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him. The point is this, when we ask the question, what is God? We are not merely doing heady theology, but we are addressing matters that should be very near and dear to our hearts. In Christ, we have been reconciled to God. We love God because He first loved us. And if you love someone, you will certainly want to know who they are, won't you? And so then the question, what is God? It's, it's, it's not only a vital question theologically speaking, it's also a vital question religiously speaking. And by that I mean it is vital as it pertains to our love for God and of our devotion to Him. We should really want to know what God is because we love God. We, we want to understand Him. We want to draw near to Him and to, and to have this meaningful relationship with Him. We must know what He is. And so let me first remind you of how our catechism has led us to this question, what is God? Our catechism begins with God, and I do love that it begins there, with God. This, um, the scriptures begin there with God, don't they? Uh, in the beginning, God are, are the first words of Holy Scripture. And, and all things do have God as their beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so our catechism begins in a most appropriate way when it asks, who is the first and chiefest of being? That is question one of the Baptist Catechism. The answer, God is the first and chiefest being. And that's a good place for us to start, isn't it? Question two then asks um, how it is that we can know God. And, and, and um, question in answer two then says um, what the scriptures say regarding what man should think about God. It states, everyone ought to believe there is a God and it is their great sin and folly who do not. Um, I'm kind of all over the place here, forgive me. Um, so then our question begins by talking about God and establishing that He exists and that man is to live in this world being mindful of His existence. And now questions 3 through 6 then deal with the question of knowing. How can this God be known? How can this God be known? The answer is that the light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God, but His Word and Spirit only do it fully and effectively for the salvation of sinners. So then the things that God has made tell us something about His existence, but God has revealed Himself much more clearly to us in His Word. I'm trying to bring you up to speed, right? Um, God exists, and how do we know that He exists? Well, through the world that He has made, but also through the Holy Scriptures. And then our catechism begins to walk us through that. What is the Word of God? We, we have learned that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only certain rule of faith and obedience. May all men make use of Holy Scriptures. Yes, not only are we permitted to, but we're commanded to make use of the Holy Scriptures. And, and then finally, question six, that very important and key question. What things are chiefly contained in the Holy Scriptures? The Holy Scriptures chiefly contain what man ought to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Isn't that a helpful summary? What is the message of Scripture? Well, two things primarily are brought to our attention by the Holy Scriptures. What we ought to believe about God and what we ought to believe about our duty before Him or what it is that He requires of us. So you can see that question 7 begins to address the first thing that the Scriptures are said to contain. The scriptures chiefly contain what ought, man ought to believe concerning God. And here in question 7 we ask, what is God? What is He? The answer that is given is truly marvelous. Uh, but you should know that our catechism will deal with the broader question, what should man believe concerning God, all the way through question 43. So we'll be here for a long time 
asking, what is God? We're going to learn all about God. We're going to learn about His nature. We're going to learn about His attributes. We're going to learn about His plans and His purposes, His actions also in questions 7 through 43. Question 7 is about the nature of God. Notice it asks, what is God? When we ask about the whatness of a thing, we are asking questions about the nature of a thing. If I were to ask you the question, what is a rock? You would probably tell me about its makeup or composition and its characteristics. Rocks are made up of minerals. They are hard. You would tell me all about that in describing a rock. Um, what is a rock? Well, you would describe its, its makeup uh, to me and its defining characteristics. If I were to ask you, what is man? What would you tell me? What is man? You would probably need to tell me all about the nature of man. What makes man a man? And we would need to say that men and women are composed of body and soul. We know that the body has certain parts, and so too does the soul. We know that, mind ha- that, that man has a mind, a will, and, and affections. We know that man is autonomous, but he is limited. Man is a creature with a beginning, etc. So if I were to ask you, what is man? You would need to talk about all of that. Man is body and soul, composed of parts. Man had a beginning. Um, he, is not, he is not completely autonomous, but depends upon his creator for his existence. So my point is this, when we ask the question, what is this thing or that, we are asking questions about the nature or being of a thing. And that is what question seven of our catechism is doing with God. What is he? That that is the question. And if I could state the matter in a different way, the answer is that God is not like us. That's not what our catechism says, of course. That's my reworking of it, right? We need to know that God is, is not like us. He is different from us. Yes, he has made us in his image. We are like him in some ways. We've been made in such a way that we can know him, relate to him, and mimic him. But we must not make the mistake of assuming that he is like us in every respect, as if he were just a bigger, better, and more powerful version of us. He is not. God is different from us on the level of whatness. What is God? He is not like us. He has a different nature. We are human, but He is divine. What is our nature? We have, we have a human nature, but God is not human. God is divine. I really only wish to focus upon the first four words of the answer to question seven today. What is God? God is a spirit, our catechism says. Again, what is man? Man is body and soul. But what is God? God is a spirit. Just a moment ago, I read from John 4, which tells us about an encounter that Jesus had with a woman from Samaria who came to draw water at a well. That passage is important for so many reasons. I'm really only concerned with a very small portion of that passage, but I wanted to read the whole thing to you because it is just such a marvelous text. Um, Why is this passage important for us today? Well, here, Jesus says something about God, about the nature of God that is so very important. Jesus said to the woman, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This was not a new idea that Jesus came up with, of course. From the days of Adam, 
God's people have known that God is a spirit. But this passage is helpful because Jesus says it so directly. He speaks to the woman of Samaria and says something to us about the nature of God. What is God? She didn't ask, but Jesus told her anyways. God is spirit, Jesus said. To state the matter negatively, God is not physical. He does not have a body. He is invisible. He is eternal. He is without limits. I mean, it was pertinent to the conversation that Jesus was having with that woman because she was so concerned about the proper place of worship. And Jesus is trying to get through to her to say, he's not confined to this mountain or to that one. You know, it's not about a geographical location. Um, yes, under the old covenant, that geography mattered, but uh, times are changing. Um, I'm here to inaugurate the new covenant and we are to worship Him in spirit and truth, not on this mountain or that one. So it was pertinent to the conversation, but He says something so important, and He puts it in such a direct way. God is spirit, Jesus says. You know, it's not uncommon for men and women to be confused about this. Many will think of something physical when they try to imagine God. Perhaps you've done this. I know you have. I have. Try to imagine God. It's hard to try to imagine Him without imagining something physical. Some will think of God as being a big, powerful, gray-haired grandpa in the sky, right? I mean, that will be the image that comes to mind. He is not that. Others will imagine Him as radiant light. This might surprise you, but listen carefully to me. He is not that either, (laughs) Yes, he does manifest himself in glorious ways, but God is, oh, this sounds almost heretical, right? God is not light. Well, you're thinking to yourself, the scriptures say that he is light. Well, yes, but the scriptures are speaking in a metaphorical way there, aren't they? He, he is not, God does not consist of light particles or light waves. That's a physical thing. That's a created thing. When we say that God is light, what do we mean except that he is holy, that He is pure, that He is majestic, that He is glorious. We're not to make the mistake of thinking that He is actually light, that this is His makeup, you see. No, God is a most pure spirit. In fact, what our catechism says here briefly, our confession says more thoroughly, as is usually the case. Would you listen to our confession? The Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute. I think that is a wonderful statement concerning God, concerning the nature of His God, a beautiful statement. So why do men think of God as a physical being? Why do we do this? One, we are prone to idolatry, aren't we? We have this tendency to think of God as if He were a creature, perhaps a bigger and better version of us. But two, the scriptures do sometimes use the language of created things and apply them to God to help us to understand what He is like. And men sometimes miss the fact that the language is functioning in an analogical way. For example, 
Christ taught us to pray to God as Father. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. We have earthly fathers, don't we? And there are things about earthly fathers that help us to understand things that are true about God. He is our source, for example. He loves us. He is our protector. He is our provider. Through Christ, He is our Heavenly Father and we are His children. All of that is true. But we must remember that God is our Father in an analogical way, not in a univocal or one-to-one sort of way. We would be wrong to think of Him as a big, great, powerful version of an earthly father in the sky. You, you understand that, right? You just kind of know that intuitively, though, don't you? Or you should. But we know that some stumble over this point. When they think Heavenly Father, they just picture a big version of their earthly dad in heaven. No. Some things about God um, are, are, are like our earthly fathers. We, we learn something true about Him, but we have to understand that we're talking about God here. We're talking about the one who has the divine nature. He is a most pure spirit. He's, he's invisible. He doesn't have boundaries to Him in any way. No time boundaries. No spatial boundaries. He is... He is not like us. So we have to remember that whenever we're talking about God. Sometimes the scriptures speak of God's hand, His arm, His face, or His back. These are human things, aren't they? These are the parts that humans have of their body. Um, We learn things about God when the scriptures use uh, these terms in, in reference to God. That is true, but we, remember, we must remember that the language is analogical. Does God have a hand, brothers and sisters? No, not really. Does He have an arm? No, not really. Does He have a face? No, not really. What about a back? No, He doesn't have a back either. Then why do the scriptures talk about God's hand, arm, face, and back? Why do they do this? It's, it's human language. It's creaturely language being applied to God in an analogical manner so that when we hear about God's hand, we are reminded that we are held in it, that He cares for us, that He keeps us, that He preserves and protects us. Something true. That's what you do with your hand, don't you? If you have something precious, don't you grab a hold of it and hold on to it to be sure that you don't lose it? Well, God does that with us. He doesn't have a hand, though, not really. Well, what about an arm? His His arm, we are reminded of of the strength and power of God. Um, What about his back? Well, when Moses saw it, it, we were being told that Moses saw something of God, but he wasn't shown the fullness of God there, only the backside of God. And what about the face? We are reminded that we may commune with God and that he communes with us, etc., etc. Sometimes the scriptures will speak of God using the language of human emotion too. Humans experience changes in emotion. God does not. But we do learn something true about God's relationship with the world He has made when the scriptures speak of Him repenting, grieving, longing, etc. We learn something true about God. But in all of this, we must remember that this language is being used in an analogical way, not in a univocal way, not in a one-to-one sort of way. We are talking about God who is spirit here, who is not like us, but far transcends us. All of these passages that attribute human and creaturely characteristics to God are very important. We learn true things about God through them. But if we wish to know what God is, pay careful attention here, brothers and sisters. If we wish to know what God is, then we ought to give priority to those passages that are dealing with the whatness of God. God is spirit, 
Jesus says. What is he? He is spirit. So that passage there, that statement from Jesus must have priority when we're trying to find out and figure out in our minds what God is truly. And do not forget the way that the Lord revealed himself to Moses as the great I am there in that bush that was burning yet not consumed. He revealed himself to Moses as the self-existent, eternal, and unchanging one. James calls God the Father of lights and says that in him there is no variation or shadow due to change. He does not change. And so we must keep these passages ever in mind when we are considering the whatness of God. And in fact, they are to have priority because these passages are dealing with, with, with the nature of God. What is he? Well, Jesus said, he is spirit. So as we encounter all of these other texts that describe God using the language of, of, of the creature, we are able to rightly appreciate them for what they reveal concerning God while not falling into the sin of idolatry and imagining him to be physical, imagining him to be maybe a bigger and better version of us. He is not. Our catechism is right to say that God is a spirit. And next week we will come back to consider what it means for God to be a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's a mouthful there, and, and there, are, there are many rich doctrines contained within that phrase there, but we'll come back to consider it next week. Let's bow for a word of prayer now, and then we will go to corporate prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us to think rightly about You. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us in ways that we can understand, so that we might know You truly. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the world that you have made. You have revealed yourself to us in the Word. You have revealed yourself supremely to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you that you have condescended to us in this way, that you have spoken to us in a way that we can, that we can grasp and comprehend so that we might know you truly. But Lord, do remind us that we cannot know you exhaustively. You are beyond us, O God, for you are God. You are the creator, we are the creature. You are the infinite one, we are the finite one. Uh, you are beyond us, O oh Lord. Uh, so we, may we remember this and may it move us to reverence and to awe. Uh, God, may it increase our love for you, uh, knowing that you are God Almighty, the eternal and unchanging one. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the, for the salvation that we have in Christ, that we have been reconciled to you, and that we've even been invited to call you our Father in heaven. What a precious thing this is. It's in Christ's name that we pray and all of God's people say.